Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. What's up, everyone? And welcome back to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. My name is Brandon Elliott. I'm your host. I am very excited. We have a special guest in the house. Not in the like physical house, but coming from what Boulder, Colorado, which is one of my actually favorite spots. I, I love that location. Beautiful location. And what's really cool is, Whitney, you've been doing this for a good amount of years now. Really been transitioning you know, starting off doing the rentals, single family, doing the 10 flips per year and all that nonsense. And then starting to realizing that, hey, this is a big time suck. And there's bigger ways, there's better ways to be able to do this. So you started transitioning into let's do some multifamily. And then on top of that, jumping in and partnering up with other groups to really build that relationship foundation, right? That relationship builder, unique person within every business to be able to help the funds keep coming in and be able to take down more territory within the business and make a bigger impact for so many people. So Whitney, what is going on? How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm I'm loving the energy. I was uh, I, I was feeling a little under caffeinated today. Maybe yeah. I am. So yeah. <laughs> I better catch up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to do it together for sure. I'm excited. For anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, where you're from, your story, do you mind just giving that 10,000 or 30,000 foot view of what Whitney's up to today? Well, what I'm up to today is I'm the Director of Investor Relations at PassiveInvesting.com. And we are a private equity group that purchases multifamily self-storage hotel and car wash deals across the United States. We're focused on cash flow, equity building, um, diversification, and tax benefits. And to do it all passively with our limited partner investors. So really helping our investors get their precious time back so they can go out and create the impact in the world and you know, just have choice and freedom there. Not what I, I wasn't born like this. I, I didn't, you know, didn't, didn't go to school for this. I learned through the school of life. Uh, in 2002, I bought a house with a significant other. And you know, about a month later, the relationship fell apart. And I was like, oh, no, this is all under my name, all the utilities. I'm like, uh, this is bad. Yeah. So I shoved the house full of roommates. And it was a 1960 something green shag carpet, psychedelic daisies painted. Beautiful. On That's what it was. It was we'll call it beautiful. Very beautiful. Very beautiful. <laughs> but it had great bones. And there was amazing hardwood floors under that green yeah. shag carpet. I'm like, what did somebody do here? Yeah. Um, anyways, you know, with a lot of bribing of my friends with pizza, beer, and sushi, um, you know, got that house put back together in about 11 months. But I didn't know what I didn't know. I sold it. And I thought, I was like, yes, I'm out from underneath the house. And then yep. I started kind of working out the financials. And I'm like, wow, I made more money flipping this one house than I did in my day job that had me traveling almost 80 hours a week. Mm. And I hadn't been paying for my bills the entire time because my roommates had been supporting me through rent. Yeah. And, the, it, it, and like the mortgage and everything. And I'm like, ooh, I need to do this again. Yeah. I need to get on this track again. That was <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> you know, you hit a home run the first time, the second time is going to be better, right? Well, <laughs> the second time was not better, but I learned yeah, not always. <laughs> <laughs> but my husband and I got together shortly after that. And I was like, I got this real estate thing figured out. I got it. 
And he was like, are you sure? Did you just see what happened in that second deal you did? But anyways, we did several more projects together and we got really good at building a bucket to equity. Cool. But we hadn't figured out how to unlock the golden handcuffs and get our time back. I was yeah. like, how are people retiring? This, this is insane. And then somebody, one of our friends was like, well, why don't you keep one of the flips and put a runner in it? I'm like, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> why didn't I think of that? That's like, so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I did that and then quickly realized that I had no idea how to underwrite a property. And, mm-hmm. you know, put a runner in it in Colorado. It doesn't cash flow, you know, especially when the toilet breaks the next month. So learned how to out-of-state invest from there and, you know, quadruple our cash flow pretty much overnight. And you know, then we realized we were running out of capital. So I was like, ooh, how do you do this? We know how to flip. How do we combine the two together? So we started doing what is now known as the BRRRR, the mm-hmm. buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Yeah. And scaled up to about 30 single family rentals. And at that point in time, I was taking care of two family members. You know, I, we had a little girl at home. And when I, I was so drawn, you know, total mom instincts are keep kicking in. I want to stay home with her. And I was like, hey, we got enough cash flow coming in, babe. Can I stay home with the da- our daughter? And he goes, yeah, I want that too. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We did not plan for that. Yeah. Like, quick math in my head. I'm like, we need 80 rentals. I'm like, ah. Yeah. You know, 30 were killing me. Why would I go to 80? And I was like, okay, multi building. Let's go buy a multifamily building because that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we went into partnership and we bought a 52 unit multifamily building. And, you know, we didn't lose any money. We made a little bit of money, but we learned a ton. And then Ooh. I realized, okay, I need really good partners. And that's when I set out to, you know, partner up with people and, you know, learned all the ins and outs of private equity real estate. But I'm like, wait a second, I've got this core portfolio over here that's kicking off, you know, lots of cash flow, lots of equity. I need to start building some of that passive income up for myself. So I can, like the name of the game is, pat, you know, passive income, you know, sure. get my time back. Yeah. And so that's where we are today. We have over 6,500 units, residential units, personally, in partnership, 2,200 self-storage units, some midterm rentals some short-term rentals, a camper van business, and a partridge and a pear tree. But, you know, we're living our lifestyle that we want wanted 20 years from now today. And that's really what I help people do. Investors realize, you know, how they can craft this for themselves utilizing passive real estate in my current role at PassiveInvesting.com. I love it. I love it. So I want to hear more about the learning curves on the multifamily. But I got to give you credit, though, when, you know, and that's where kind of like the entrepreneur spirit really like kicks in when you first started out that first deal. You know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, you know, the stuff kind of hit the fan, right? And you figured out a way, you know, when there's a will, there's a way and you were determined to not just let it, you know, kind of drift behind you and neglect it. Instead, you actually focused on how do we actually turn this into something better? You flipped it and you made it into some nice profits, which is great. What's really funny is the learning curves on the second one and realizing, you know, the numbers aspects, analyzing a deal. It's very important, right? And you were doing all of this in your backyard, right? In Colorado? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you started looking outside in other states to actually get into bigger multifamily, correct? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, we were putting $80,000, you know, down to buy a single family house, a uh, class B, B plus single family house here in Colorado at the time. Yeah. And, you know, I could buy four class A 
houses <laughs> in anywhere Minneapolis, Minneapolis yeah, City, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, in other markets yep. now you know the markets have shifted in you know in the in the past several years but you know there's still the same concepts apply sure right and so yeah no go for it so those were the states that you started focusing on indianapolis and other states like that that had bigger cash flow as well right kind of jumping onto something trending you know going up in the market as well Mm -hmm. yeah we we really you know initially focused where we knew people that could kind of help keep an eye on the on the property but also like areas that we were familiar with sure and you know, kind of leaning a lot on my husband for you know that type of information, and then also just paying attention to where where are other investors investing, right? Like, yeah. this leaves clues. Like, yep. don't reinvent the wheel. You know, all the out of state investors are having great, you know, good success here in this one market. Like, check it out. Yeah. So as far as a, a learning curve goes, I want to ask about the multifamily. But as far as that second one goes, identifying and realizing, running the numbers. That was something that wasn't the strongest point at the time. Have anything really highlighted to you or that you've learned over time that that work out better running the numbers or or something that, you know, somebody brand new could kind of rock and roll with and, and learn from as well? Because maybe there's certain people that are struggling with finding the new leads coming in or the location or analyzing the numbers, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, so there was the second flip and that was you know, a disaster, you know, averted. And then there was like our first rental, which I think the one that we bought here in Colorado, I'm like, okay. oh, we threw down $80,000. Like, you know, this is what our friends are doing. They're buying homes and they're kind of sitting on the property and they're looking to harvest the cash flow someday. And then yeah. we didn't know what to do. We we're like, oh, that sounds great. Like, we'll go buy, you know, high quality property. Like, you know, if the whole process flops on its head in a year, we felt really um, that we had a good asset that you know, would preserve capital. We could sell it. Were these just on the market though, or were these actually Burr properties? No, that one was was on the market. There was a distressed seller. They had just gotten notice right before Christmas that they needed to relocate in January, mm-hmm. and the property went on the market on December twenty third. How yeah. many people are looking at properties on December twenty third? Only you. Only you and I like that. This girl right here. Yeah, I love it. And it was in the middle of a snowstorm. And I told my husband, I'm like, we got to go look at it. My really was like, okay, okay, we'll go tomorrow. It's Christmas Eve. Do you know that? Yeah. You okay <laughs> with that? I'm like, she could have said no, but yeah. she didn't. And, you know, we put in an immediate offer and there's a lot of lessons learned on that. One of it was, I had taken some advice on just like how to work with the seller. And, and instead of like lowballing them, I was like, really trying to open up a conversation. What do you need? Okay, you need a quick closing, you know, and the the you know, realistic expectation of like money. And I was we really tailored our offer to exactly what they needed. So it's super hard for them to say no to us. Yeah. And two, as far as like where I kind of messed up with running the numbers is we had actually executed on our friend's strategy. We didn't understand our own investing goals, what we need from our yeah. portfolio. We need cash flow. That was our goal. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to unlock the golden handcuffs. What did we do? We bought a great house that we could flip. Yeah. Which is what we had been doing the whole entire time. And so we walked right back into that equity trap again, as opposed to like understanding, okay, our investing goals, we need cash flow, we need tax benefits, and we need to be in a market where we could realistically expect some sort of equity bumps. 
Um, and we, we totally botched that on that, on that deal. Now, yeah. fortunately, a year later, we were able to exit that property, reposition all that capital, um, and, and, you know, go buy four or five properties. I can't remember if we bought four or five, but, you know, quickly reposition it. Good. And that was, that was a tough year to sit here and go, Oh, all these 10 other rentals are bringing in five, $600 a month in cash flow, And this one's 400 and I have to self-manage it. And that's if nothing breaks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And sometimes it's tough, right? Because it's like getting started as a real estate investor, brand new, you start seeing the benefits, you start seeing the excellence and all the amazing things that it can bring you. And it's so true, right? Even if you make mistakes though, luckily, as long as you can hang on, typically over time and you just, it's a tough year. It's a tough two years maybe, right? And people might be resonating with this right now, right? Or about to, but if you can stay strong and realize that there is like this too will pass, there's opportunities that are coming up in the future. The market's not always going to stay like this. We'll probably get some equity. We'll probably get, you know, some appreciation and so forth. Doing the burst strategy is amazing because you could really get the, the tax-free money from the refi. You can be able to have little or no money into it, ideally, at the end of the day. So then your cash on cash return is huge if you can make it cash flow, right? But having a good product is the name of the game. And it, it all just comes down to that forced appreciation, whether it is cutting expenses or doing the full renovation or whatever it may be, increasing rents to be able to really make the most out, right? Get that passive income that you're looking for, the tax benefits and everything else. So it is such a great learning lesson that you brought up. Like you were underwriting deals originally that other friends, other examples that you had, but it was different goals. You know, it can still work. It's just different goals at the end of the day. So I really love that. Talk to me about after you went through the mud on that stuff, the tough season, you were like, hey, let's do multifamily because the goal is to get to 80 units. That would bring the financial freedom that we need as a household. So you're like, hey, this is brilliant. Let's do, let's get 50 units or so and we'll be good to go. Talk to me a little bit about that, the market, raising capital and finding that lead. Yeah, it was outside of Indianapolis. And okay. really, I had partnered up with like a couple other investors to go take down that particular property. You know, I was running the financials on that. And that was kind of the, you know, the value that I was bringing it. One was the asset managing and the other one was um, you know, looking to secure additional capital to kind of fill in the gap. You know, and, you know, really, you know, just kind of, you know, straightforward partnership, you know, where we kind of felt we held the property for about 14 months, 15 months before getting it sold. It was very light value add. You know, the, the value add was complete in about three months. The problem is, is that I got placed with property management and the leasing, the girl, we had, we had troubles like immediately, you know, with lease up and, you know, Finally, like replace the person before summer, before the summer season, we got it nice and leased up. And then we still had a few more units to get, you know, fully leased up throughout the wintertime. And it was a different gal. And oddly enough, they were <laughs> more interested in getting their year end bonus for leases than they were actually getting people into the apartments. Ooh. Which for me, I'm like, you just the math does not figure. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the bonus was not good that good. Like you're, you're running, you're running the numbers wrong here. Let me explain it to you. This is gonna exactly. set you up for so much more success if you just do this. <laughs> so, you know, by the time we realized that, like in November, early December, you know, the damage yeah. was already kind of done. And so we had to sit for another two or three months before we can get those additional units leased back up and reposition it for sale. And um, what year was this? 
And that was 2019. Okay. 18 going into 19. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then so what was the plan with that one? Was it supposed to be a flip or kind of just a, a value add reposition and then see if somebody gives you a high offer and keep it yeah. for cash flow until then? Yep. Yep. We were just going to sit on it, complete the rehab, pull out as much cash as we could, and then just sit on it until we got an offer. Yeah. Um, but you know, when we kind of hit that little snag, it was tough on the partnership. It was really tough. And I think everybody kind of realized like, this is cool. And we were all pretty new into multifamily investing. We brought okay. our strengths together, but we we're like, Ooh, I think I want to do it a different way. And yeah. so we didn't really see, you know, we're all still, you know, great acquaintances, great friends now, but you know, we just didn't really see the partnership continuing on. That and so sense. like for me, I wanted to, I, I got bitten by the bike. I want to, I'm like, I want to go figure it. Like yeah. if this, you know, they're uh, like, I want to figure out this property management situation first. Yeah. <laughs> And you're like, we'll figure it out as we go. Let's go. Let's get a hundred. It'll be, you know, and sometimes it makes sense because, you know, when you go bigger, you can start actually affording real high quality property management. And also full-time employees on the location too. Yeah. That was, you know, the biggest stress. Like that person was only part-time Yeah. with our property. So, you know, they're getting pulled all sorts of direction and, you know, that's... Yeah, when they're not full time, they're yeah. like the ultimate hustler putting on multiple hats during the day when you really want them to be laser focused on your project because it's at their hands, at their mercy to really make it successful to a certain exactly. degree, of course. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. So, you know, we actually had somebody give great uh, Dave, I interviewed him the other day and it was great advice because I, I've struggled with property management as well. I think a lot of us real estate investors have. And what he did so unique and something I want to try in the future, I, I loved it, was he leaves property management for property management and then leasing a whole different department. And so he works out a, a better deal overall on the property management because they're not responsible for actually getting new tenants in there. So the one lease, just having a shark of a lease assignment person in there and just crushing it and ends up being such a win-win around the board. So I really love that idea. But I'm curious with this person, how many... They're working, what, 20 hours a week or so? Or for that person? um, No, they were working full-time. It's just that it was not... Their sole focus was not just on our property. They just kind of saw that maybe they were already one foot, two feet off the door. And so they were just saw the opportunity like, hey, I'm going to get my year-end bonus. And I don't really care what happens like at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but again, like you said, like I'm like, you know, for if you're thinking about your financial future, <laughs> yeah, it makes so much more if you just make it a win-win here. <laughs> right. Or like resign or yeah. I don't know. But yeah, as far as like property management, you know, from the single family side, I think a lot of the lessons I learned were to really, you know, uh, references are great, but really to kind of dig into the unique ability that that property manager has and the actual scale of their portfolio and where you fall in there. You know, I originally with my Kansas City part of my portfolio, I started off with somebody who was pretty new. I mean, gift was finding undervalued deals and doing the construction. Mm. But when it came, you know, he had an amazing staff person who handled everything on the property management side. But when she left, the business really struggled and he oh, didn't cool. have the scale. He only had like 80 to 100 units under his belt. Um, and he didn't have the skill to go find that rock star employee and bring them in. Yeah. Um, you know, conversely, like, you know, I've seen situations, you know, where the property management company has two or 3,000 units and you're an investor 
sitting here going, you know, you might have like five, 10, 15, you're kind of small potatoes to them. Sure. So you're just a number. So really finding that sweet spot, you know, I look for property managers. If I were to do it all over again, um, we still have midterm rentals. We still have short-term rentals. Um, but I look for, you know, management companies that have about, not on the short-term side. I mean, I think that's a lot more labor intensive, but like about yeah. 300 properties and, you know, that have, you know, great walkthrough processes and, you know, great lease up proper, um, processes to where you, you're aligned and it's performance based. Mm. And not just fee-based, because it's so easy to collect the fee. <laughs> yes. yes. Performance-based is the way to go. So moving forward, would you say there wouldn't be a end-of-the-year type of bonus just for any, you know, God-given reason for them? <laughs> you, you would restructure that a little? <laughs> yeah, well, that wasn't our that wasn't our structure. That was the property manager's structure. That was the business structure. And so, you know, we just had the one building and you know. They were like, typically we bonus our employees. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, that's what you typically do. Fantastic. You know, this is time tested. But, and here's the thing you're yeah. always going to have bad apples. Yeah. And even somebody who is a high performer can struggle, you know, at certain seasons in their career. So, you know, not knowing all of those parameters and where this person was. And I guess just to kind of, you know, step away from that particular situation, but it just, you, as the investor, have to elevate yourself to the role of COO and CEO. Yeah. And so you have to monitor and measure what you want to see. And I think so many times, you know, small single-family investors or even mid-sized and single-family investors that have 15, 20 units, they take their foot off the pedal a little bit and kind of hand too much over to the property yeah. manager. You have to strike that fine balance. Yeah, they're like, hey, I got a property manager. That's their job now. And it's like, no, no, no. You know, I think it is just like you said, it's important to raise above and, and become that CEO, right? And also empowering, you know, the people that you're leading to let them know, like, hey, you are the CEO as well. Like you're the CEO of this section. So run it with excellence and talk to me. Be very transparent. If something outside of work, family, friends, like finances, whatever is going on, I want to know about it so that we can, you know, talk out problems instead of being buried away and keeping it separate. And then that coming into the workplace in the next three, six months. And then we have issues, right? Because that's not going to be good for anybody. So I think, you know, just leadership, right? It, it really fine tunes it and, um, and pulling people's excellence out of them. I really love that. Talk to me. I'm really intrigued. I've been wanting to, I've been like eager to to get this question out of you the whole time. Car washes. I want to talk about car washes because I've never actually talked about car washes, but I've been seeing more, more, obviously like we all have car washes all over, but I've been seeing more like excellence in car washes the last, I don't know, year or two in our area of San Diego. I know this is nationwide, but I just see like, it's obviously you know, a crazy business. These guys are building these amazing, great looking. I mean, the marketing just behind how amazing it looks like. I don't want to take my Porsche through, but it looks good. So let's drive through, you know? So talk to me, why car washes to start off with? Like, I, I didn't even think about this until you brought it up. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, they're popping up everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's a $33 billion industry that on average is growing at 4% per year. But you know, there's really four types of car washes. Okay. There's the Embay, 
car wash, you drive it in and you get your own, you drop the quarters and you wash your own car. Do it yourself. Yeah. Do it yourself. DIY. Yeah. And then there's one in Bay Automatic, you know, that's the ones that are attached to gas station. Yeah. And, you know, if you're like two or three people back in line, you're not going to stick around. You're going to go, time's precious, right? Yeah. And then on the other side of the scale, there's your full service car washes, right? There might be a small tunnel, but there's an army of people vacuuming your car at the beginning, army of yep. people drying and wiping down your car at the end. Those are very labor intensive, not highly scalable. And so there's a sweet spot in here that it, in this industry sector, the industry is growing like double almost what the general industry is. Um, that's called the express tunnel car wash. And so, you know, there might be a whole like stack of vacuums. You can vacuum your car or you can, you know, pay extra in your subscription and have somebody else do that for you. Yep. You, know, you go through a long tunnel and that tunnel is handling the wash the rinse, the wax, the tire shine, everything. And it can be very technology abled. So with somebody that has a subscription model, you know, we can apply the tire shine like every four times, you know, but if they pay our higher subscription and they want it every time, we can do it every time. Like, and that's not, it's run by two to three full-time employees. Yep. And very labor unintensive. And we can wash about four to 500 cars a day. Wow. Um, doing that. So where are the kind of the perks of the industry? Well, right, it's moving your clients from a single pay model into a subscription model to create that monthly recurring revenue, right? Getting the express tunnel to where you can actually, that large tunnel to where you can modulate the usage of energy, water, chemicals, and then also adding additional value, right? Like, what yeah. do we sound like? We sound like, you know, a multifamily building, right? Yeah. NOI, except with car washes, it's called EGI, expected gross income. Now you got to go back to like, okay, now you understand what an express car wash is and why yeah. it might be a value to invest in one, either personally or in passively. But personally, you need to cough up about a million to $2 million to buy into some sort of franchise or ground up development. And then probably what you know, what? probably what's gonna happen is you're gonna be like one of these mom and pop owners that we are acquiring from because they realize, oh no, I just bought myself another job that yeah. I have to operate. Let me ask with this, and I don't mean to cut you off. When it comes down to the franchise part, do you believe that with the car wash space that it, it's necessary or needed? Or I mean, it does help, I'm sure, with the whole pamphlet, the the SOPs behind it, but yeah, I, mean, no, I, mean, I don't think anybody really looks at like the name of a car wash. I, I would look at like a subway or something or like a, you know, I don't know, but I'm just curious. Well, it's instant brand recognition sure. right, when you buy into a franchise, but there's a couple issues with that because you may not own the land with that franchise and you certainly don't own the brand. So okay. Ari, as a business owner, you're kind of, you know, handicapping yourself, especially owning the brand, right? Like if there's, you know, multiple car washes in your immediate area with that exact same brand. Yeah. Now you've got, you can't market where you want to market True. Um, because people own a certain, a geographical area when you buy a franchise Two, If another location is poorly run, that reflects back on you. That's very challenging. That's good. Yeah. So also when you own a franchise, there's generally no third party management company you can pay you yep. know, place with, right? And there is no third party management company nationwide that handles car washes. And that's really where the unique opportunity is. And then yep. what we're doing is we're scaling a 250 to 300 unit portfolio, direct ownership. We own the land, we own the brand, and we own the property management company. Yeah. So we own the end to end experience for the client. And that but, also positions us very well for an IPO exit or a large yep. world to a re, a re or private equity group or 
you know, we could go right back to our conservative exit, which is individual sale of the assets. I love that. Yeah. I mean, when you own everything, then you have control of it, right? If something's not working out, you can quickly adjust and pivot, right? To make sure that things do turn out well. I love the subscription model because obviously it just generates so more people forget about the six, seven, you know, $10 a month type or or $20 a month. And then it's almost like a, a click funnels of like, you know, as you're using it, there's like an option of, Hey, just $2, you can get the tire shined or like for an extra dollar on top of that, you can get a towel, you know? So it's all these little things that add up to make it a bigger checkout that we don't realize, but in the moment we want and on the subscription model, we don't even think about. So I think it's a very lucrative business, you know, obviously if, if ran well, is there any marketing that you do when you actually like jump in and start restabilizing one of these mom and pop shops? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the typical mom and pop owner, they own five or less locations. Sure. Um, and so, you know, we might buy their entire portfolio off yeah. of them, one, two, three, four locations. And so really the first year is that we are rebranding the location with our own logo. We're upgrading some of the equipment yep. um, on site so we can operate more efficiently. We're renegotiating vendor contracts for all of the chemicals used in the process, maybe even adding some environmental, I don't want to say fail safes in there, but like, you know, recapture systems for water. Yeah. Right, it helps keep the environment clean, but also, guess what? We get to reuse the water that loses our yeah. expenses as well. Probably get some tax benefits too. So it's like a triple win here. Yeah. Bonus depreciation, guys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then we're working on moving the current client base from that single pay model into a monthly recurring revenue. And mm-hmm. you know, typically our packages start at twenty five, thirty five, forty five dollars a month. There's like three tiers, mm-hmm. and you know, but they get so much for it. They get the vacuuming, they get the car wash, they get all the shines. They maybe can upgrade for a VIP tunnel. So where it doesn't matter what time of day they're coming in, they're next in line. Yep. Um, similar locations, they have dog washing stations. So you can wow. get the car clean, get the dog clean. <laughs> That's like my favorite part of it. I think thing. that is brilliant too. With the dog, you know, it's almost like an add-on again. You know, they could go separately for that, but the dog industry is such a huge space as well because any dog owners are addicted to their babies, right? Like they are spoiling the heck out of them, you know? So it's crazy. I love that. Well, also, do you really want to put a dirty dog in your clean car? No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, so the, the really unique part of this industry as a whole is that it's in early consolidation. So if you think back to 2006, 7, 8 with the self storage industry, there wasn't an immense amount of third-party management. You know, there was a, a wealth of mom and pop owners. So you started seeing that consolidation and rebranding cycle there. Even with self-storage, we're only about halfway through that actual consolidation cycle. So there's mm-hmm. a there's a, a a lot of runway with self-storage. Yeah. And equally as amount, you know, runway with car washes. Here's like a kind of the cool thing. I know some investors object. They're like, you know, hey, listen, like when we're moving to electric cars and we're getting rid of gas stations and lube stations, like what happens to the car wash station, car wash location? I'm like, electric cars still need to be washed. <laughs> yeah, like still yeah. need a bath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then another concern is like, well, there's so many of them. Well, because that's it's like self-storage. It's a, a service of convenience, right? Yeah. 
you can have three or four gas stations on a corner because depending on where you're turning, that traffic count and traffic direction, yep. that really impacts which station does really well. Same thing yeah. with car washes. So that's a, another kind of indicator of why the franchise ground up development model makes me a little bit nervous. And we do do development as well, but we actually like, you know, are digging in very deep on these numbers. I can't say that everybody's doing the same yeah. with that. But, you know, we're with our operating car washes or acquisition model, we're already buying performing car washes. So they yeah. have already worked out the location and the traffic count. So a lot of that is very de-risked. Yeah. And anybody that is, just like you mentioned, that's kind of more skeptical or scared about, well, there's so many that are popping up. Well, just like you said, the convenience level is where you are positioning in it, right? Like, where is it located so that it can be super convenient and a ton of traffic coming in? But also the second key part here is not everybody's going to be like running these establishments with excellence. So it's very, very crucial to really set it up for success and shooting for excellence. So I really do love that. Well, this is just amazing. I, I think there's a ton of value here. What would you say to somebody that's brand new looking to get started? Either I think just getting even just a a car wash. I think that would just be so unique and incredibly smart with the subscription model. Like there's not many other things in the real estate space that you can really set up as a subscription model. Right. So oh, what do you mean? Multifamily leases, self-storage yeah. leases. That's um, good. Yes. Anyways, uh, there are, but that's what makes this powerful is you're kind of putting it on the you're leasing on a month to month basis. You yes particular use facility and you can go once or twice a month. Our average user goes about twice a month or you okay. can go every single day or multiple times a day. Sure. But as far as, you know, an average investor, majority of the people that I work with aren't interested in doing ground up development on their own. They're interested in investing for cash flow, equity, capital preservation, and tax benefits. And yep. just have amazing tax benefits because you can depreciate all the equipment in year one. And, yeah, the and they want their time back. Yeah. And so really like looking for, you know, finding those operators, right? That, you know, are, you know, that have a proven model that have the background and expertise to run this business. Um, that's what I would suggest people to to do yeah. unless you're going to become the expert in car washes. For me, I mean, I'm an expert in my like little niche of real estate and I have chosen to tap into other people's expertise so I can diversify my portfolio. I think that's where a lot of investors kind of go off track, especially if they're new, right? Yeah. So the unfocused, they're all over the board. Like, they're all over. Yep. One day they're like, I'm going to single family in, in Indianapolis. And the next day it's, I'm going to buy a five unit in Kansas City. And you're like, whoa, you know, there's two different teams, two different types of realtors, right? Like yeah. this really helps keep investors focused on what is higher and best use of their time. With the end goal in mind, really backtracking. With the end goal in mind and have the power of tapping into all those golden wealth pillars that real estate provides. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. Well, this was so amazing. I appreciate your time so much today. You just gave you know almost an hour of your time. Anything that myself or the audience can do to give back to you? Well, if you are interested in learning more about car washes or yeah. passive investing in general, I actually have a gift for you guys. So okay. you can visit PassiveInvestingWithWhitney.com. It's a subpage on the PassiveInvesting.com website, but it's the only place you can get my free ebook. 
and checklists to help you understand how to safely passive invest in this choppy water environment and also get access to my calendar. And we can talk about you know what opportunities we might have available for you. Cool. I love it. How can people get a hold of you besides that? Passive investing with Whitney.com is you know, the, best. the first best place. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was an amazing episode. I appreciate it. This is a wealth of knowledge right here. So guys, definitely reach out to Whitney. She's got a heart of gold and doing some awesome things. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of me, you can always do so on Instagram. It is Brandon Elliott Investments, otherwise facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you're looking to learn true education behind credit and be able to like if you are a business owner, get up to five hundred thousand dollars at zero percent interest every six months, learn the techniques and tricks on how we are doing it, then check out creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. And we can talk more and really show you the full possibilities of of credit. Make sure if you haven't already, I don't know what you're waiting for, hit that subscribe button for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast so you can get the newest notification every single Monday and leave a five-star review afterwards. Love all the feedback, all the amazing five stars we've been getting lately. You guys are amazing. Love you guys all so much. Share this out. Tag somebody in that needs to see it. And we will see you on the next episode. Till next time, guys. God bless. Thanks, Whitney. Appreciate you. Thank you. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.